Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you right now, even as we have seen and heard with each song that we have sang, we recognize that we have already been praying. And we've been praying a lot this morning through song. And so, indeed, we need you, thee, every hour. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage. Speak, O Lord. We have prayed much. And so we have worshipped and we are worshipping still because we have a Savior who is true, who is life, who is light, who has overcome the darkness, and that is Christ our Lord. And so we come in view of our Lord this morning. And we come thanking you, O our good and gracious God, for your thousands upon thousands of kindnesses and graces that you shower upon us hour after hour, moment by moment, you are good and gracious to us. And so we come this morning and we pray and we admit our need as we've already admitted, we need you every hour, we need your word. And we recognize that is a mercy also. It is your mercy that gave us your word. It is your mercy that you revealed yourself to us. And we do not come to your word as capital or small t. We come to it as a capital T, truth. We don't need to go and search and study all the various philosophies to finally reach capital T, truth. We have it with you speaking and telling us you made us, you made us for yourself, for your glory, for your purposes, for your namesake, and that we are indeed, we will not find joy and we will not find life in this world outside of knowing you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we come to you in prayer. We pray as we come to your word that you would help us not be infants in our thinking, but be mature. We pray that we would not see a conflict with that. Help us, Lord, as we come to these exhortations from your word, that we would eat them up readily, even when they pierce our hearts, even when they convict us of sin, even when perhaps they show us that we are in darkness and we need the light of Christ, that we would flee to Christ and be saved at that very moment. And so we come to you and we pray in the midst of struggles and all that we would take up your word this morning. May you give light and shine it brightly. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to the letter of James. We began our study walking through the letter of James a few weeks ago. And we're taking it back up again this morning with James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Now imagine that you are going about your day, you know, maybe doing this and that, you know, going to the grocery store or, you know, maybe going and hunting or fishing or whatever you like to do. And 
really all is just fine, all is well, and you're glad about that, of course, you know, everything going just fine, but then, for some reason or another, maybe you got distracted or, you know, you just didn't see it as you're going along your way, and as you're going, you fall down a deep hole. Ouch, of course, you know, falling down a hole like that. But thankfully, you only come away with some scuffs and bruises along the way. But the bigger problem that you're facing is that now you are in this hole, right? And a big part of that problem is that you can't get out. You're trying everything you can. You try and try and try. Maybe you were an athlete in high school or in college. Well, at this point, none of that matters here. You are stuck, and so you are there to no avail, and all your efforts do not succeed, so you cannot get out on your own. And so there you are in this hole, and as you're there in the hole, you see someone way up there, however high it is, and you see someone just above you at the top of the hole. Now, I think many of you already have it in your minds what you would do (laughs) if you saw someone at the top of the hole, but what would you do? Would you say, well, I don't know. I don't know if someone's really at the top of the hole, you know. I don't know if I can trust whoever that is. I'm just going to sit here and eat my dirt sandwich, you know. That's right. Ooh. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think we would do that, right? I think without thinking twice, what would you do? You would cry out for help, right? You would ask for help without even thinking twice. Somebody's up there. Help me, you know? And I think we all know that is the obvious answer to that question, and it's that obvious answer that God sets before us today in our passage this morning, and it's a simple point. We simply ask, cry out. But how dire it is that we see it's, it's not for these theoretical holes that you might fall in, but God intends that you seek his face and you cry out and you ask him all the time, every day. I need thee every hour as we prayed a moment ago. And so to see this, let's look here then in James 1, 5-8, and I'll begin with verse 5. So may God help us to see our need this morning and to hear his authoritative and trustworthy word. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now as we pick up here... 
In James, if you were here a few weeks ago, you know that as we begin this letter, what do we find? We found as we opened the opening verses of this letter that we're actually letting something loose. We're letting a bull loose this morning as we come and continue into the book of James. So as we saw then, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, so after a short one-verse introduction, verse one, the gates were opened, and now the bull of James, he rushes onward and forward as he does. James, he doesn't blush often. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't ask, is this okay if I say this? He just says it. He exhorts. He commands, and he calls all of us unashamedly to follow God with all we are. And so he rushes on And exhorts us again here. And so here he exhorts us to wholeheartedly acknowledge your need for God. To wholeheartedly acknowledge your need for God. And he means that. He means wholehearted. This whole book is essentially exhorting you, live for Christ wholeheartedly. Stop playing a game, stop faking, stop nodding, stop doing all that junk and live for Christ with all you are. Because if you really know him, you already said you were going to do that. You said, I'm going to take up the cross, deny myself and follow him. And when you got baptized, you said that again. You said, I am dead with Christ and he has brought me life and now I'm living for him. This life is his. And so James is saying, Do that. (laughs) Be that. And so he is serious about this this morning as God is serious about that this morning. And so as we saw last time with the letter of James, the, the theme or the very heartbeat of this letter is that we would have genuine faith in God. Genuine faith in God. So now as we continue on with this book, as we're encountering various aspects of James now, kind of getting a taste of him, we need to become accustomed to his style. So oftentimes he'll just go right on with his exhortations without directly or obviously connecting one exhortation to the next. If you've ever read James, you already kind of know and have seen that. You're like, well, where did that come from? I mean, rich, poor. I mean, you adulterers and so on like that. I mean, your tongue and, and all these things. And like, it just seems like it goes from one to the next without some obvious connection. However, that being the case, as we're getting used to his style here on Sunday mornings, he's not like a Paul And if you know, if you read Paul, Paul, he gives indicatives, right? If you know what that is, he's explaining, he's giving theology, he's giving the foundations for then imperatives. And so he gives then, here's why, here's who you are. And so because of who you are, because of what God did, because of Christ, because of all these glorious things, now go and live it out for the glory of God. That's the imperative. So indicative, imperative. Well, James doesn't do that. (laughs) Like I said, he's a bull. He just comes out and says, do this and, and get to it. And come on, everybody, get up and get to action. And he embeds theology throughout as well. And so we 
are getting used to that, but here we see there is some connection from what we saw last week or a week, two weeks ago, that as we face trials, so like the ones we saw in verses 2 through 4, or as we fall into holes, or as we live our lives, it becomes apparent connection to trials. Count it all joy, my brothers. We meet trials of various kinds. Man, I need something, don't I? <laughs> as I walk through trials. And what is that? Well, what he talks about here. So it becomes apparent that we need wisdom. We need wisdom. And so he uses the word if here. You see it plain enough in your Bibles. If any of you lack wisdom. And so it's a conditional phrase, but as we look at this, we would be wrong to think or limit this to just thinking, okay, well, only when I go through trials, only when I throw, like fall in a hole, that's when I need to ask God for something. That's not what James is about. That's not what James is after. You could say if, when, it has even in the sense of doing it in everything. So it's not just limited to troubles, trials, or aches and pains. It's implied that you need wisdom, and not just that you need it in those times when you fall in a hole, or when you get sick, or when you have cancer, or maybe you're going to potentially, possibly lose your job. But you need wisdom all the time. In every single area of your life, you need wisdom. Now, maybe some of you are here this morning and you're hearing all this and you're thinking, okay, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> you, know, you need wisdom, pastor. You know, I have all the wisdom I need. I can manage things just fine my, on my own. You know, I have my experiences. I, I'm this old. You know, I have my degree. I'm this educated. So speak for yourself. Now, let me just say... To you, and I, I mean this in love, that in saying that, friend, you're not in a good place. If you are known, even here or even in your family, as someone who is not teachable, you know, the Bible, it has a word for that. And you know what the word is? It's full. It's full. So if you are the one that thinks just that, that I am fine, or everyone must come to me for wisdom, you have much to learn. And you're in a dangerous place. And so I would urge you this morning that you would throw that off. And I pray for you because if you're there, you have a heart of pride that is so tall that man, when it comes down, it's going to be hard. So I pray for you this morning that you, by God's grace, would say right now, yes, I need that. I need wisdom because I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the wisdom I need in this life, in all these areas, all these spectrums of life that I walk through, whether it be my job or whether it be learning or whether it be my family or raising my children or my marriage or whatever it is. I need wisdom. 
And I pray for you for that because right now you're probably thinking, if you're that other one, I'm good still. So may your response not be that. And so as we see this, we might even think more broadly than just getting out of a hole. It's a wisdom for the entire way out (laughs) where we ask God again and again and again and he helps us until we reach the top. Why do we do that? Because in every single area of our life, until you go to be with Christ, we need wisdom for the whole thing, right? We need wisdom from this point until he takes me to glory. I need your wisdom. I need you in everything, in all of life. And so to understand this, we also need to understand something about wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just any old sort of thing that you just kind of, you know, do with it. True biblical wisdom, which I would argue is really the only form of wisdom. Now, you can have knowledge, you can have skills and so on. And if you want a full breadth, you know, discussion of this, go back online to YouTube and look at all of our study walking through the book of Proverbs. But true biblical wisdom is inseparable from God. Is inseparable from God. Now this is different from the air we breathe. This is different from what you have, even if you've grown up in a Christian home, everywhere around you, what you're hearing is a different view of wisdom from the world. And so often, what does the world say? Where does it say wisdom lies? That's right. With you. And so here are all the philosophers, you know, trying to figure out what do we do with this world? Let's just take God out of the equation. Let's figure out why all this stuff is. It begins with you and your reason, your ability to grasp these things. You know, it reminds me of that short and spirited poem written very well. Why everyone remembers it, but the poem of Invictus. What does he say there? He says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, welcome to the world's view of wisdom. It's about my will, my ways, my plans. This is my destiny. These are my rights. It's me, me, me. Is that not what you hear everywhere around you? Is this not the conflict that we are facing in our nation and throughout the world? A wisdom that is built upon self. But true wisdom isn't that way. It's not us-centered. It is God-centered. It's living life. It's living your life. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you may not be a pastor, you may not be a missionary, you may not be an evangelist, but whatever you are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are living your life right now. If you know him, true wisdom is living all of life unto him. 
So you are called to live for Christ everywhere you are. This is why I love James. This is why I love Proverbs. James is saying you are to follow him everywhere. And so it says then in Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And there's our person. Right? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you and I need to recognize that true wisdom begins with and it comes from God. And so, in a sense, and even in Daniel 2, you can go there, even in just secular terms, any knowledge or skill or anything that you know, it ultimately comes from God. So there is no boasting on our part. You can get every single degree the world has and you cannot boast even once in yourself. You give God the glory. Proverbs 2.6, it says, For the Lord, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so Proverbs, if again, coming back to the study we did a moment ago on Wednesday nights, you know, as a whole, it's about walking in the fear of the Lord and the fear of God in every single area of your life. Proverbs doesn't leave out anything. It doesn't leave out sex. It does not leave out money. It does not leave out conflicts. It does not leave out any of those things because why? Every single area of your life is to be lived in the fear of the living God. Because you were made for God. You exist for God. And the only reason we aren't doing that now is because of Genesis 3. And every single one of us has sinned against the living God. And we are severed from him. And we need him desperately. And he gave him who is the fullness of wisdom and knowledge, the fulfillment of wisdom, Colossians 2, who is Jesus Christ. In him are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. And I think if we're honest, and I pray you are, like I said a moment ago, you know that you need wisdom. <laughs> You don't need me to be up here and tell you, like, you know, you need wisdom because you're already there. You're like, yep, <laughs> I need wisdom in a lot of areas because you already know you lack it immensely. I mean, as we look out over the culture, right, and we look out and we're trying to figure out how to respond, how to engage or whatever else, and the questions that are being raised as we look out over the issues that are going on in our culture, we look out over the conflicts that are going on, or even as we just kind of zoom into ourselves and we look at our own day-to-day -day lives and we look at the trials, we look at our workplaces and trying to navigate how do I walk through that as a follower of Jesus Christ who holds fast to the inerrancy and the inspiration, the authority, the sufficiency of Scripture. And I'm not going to compromise on any of this other stuff that they are telling me to compromise on. How do I walk 
through my workplace and all these things. Or if it's your family and you're trying to navigate that and trying to train your children, you're saying male is male and female is female. There is no other option. Marriage is only between a man and a woman. There's no other option there. There's no other category. There's no other thing as any other form of marriage. It's only male and female, husband and wife. And you're navigating all this with your family, you're parenting, like how do I parent my children, how to parent them well through all these things, raising them up, they may be arrows in the hands of a warrior, and I would send them out for his glory. How do I go and then witness to the people in my workplace, even as they know I'm a believer? And they don't like the fact that I'm saying this and that, or how do I manage my money and on it goes, Right? So it is obvious that we need wisdom. And if you're a bit overwhelmed by all that, then it's right that we see this next part as well. We need wisdom, and we desperately need God. We desperately need God. And this is where James takes us, right? He doesn't take us to the latest book, the latest fad, the latest thing or philosophy. He doesn't go take us to some social media account or any of those things. But what does he do? He takes us to God. He exhorts you and me in the midst of all these things to do something simple. And what is that? Two words. (laughs) Ask God. Why? Because we desperately need him. The very reason that we are broken and we are in the mess that we are in is because that we said way back in Genesis 3 that we're just fine. Or actually we said, God, you don't have everything we need. I think I need a better and higher wisdom and knowledge that you can't give. We believed in a lie and said, you know what? God, I can do this on my own. I am just fine the way I am. And that is a fool. So at the very root of our mangled, cracked, and broken selves and lives, even as our world, you know, there are various things that can affect our bodies and our minds and our hearts, yes. But at the very root of it all, it is a spiritual problem. So in that hole, what you and I are to do is we are to ask God, as we're facing all these things, we're looking around and overwhelmed by them. We're not to be desperate in the way of like, oh my, woe is me. We're to be, oh my, I am desperate for you, O oh God. And we cry out to him who is at the top of the hole. And so let me ask you, have you done that? Are you doing that? Will you? do that. And the good news, as we see here, is that God is undividedly ready to answer. 
So James, he magnifies the character of God. And he calls you to set God before your eyes in the midst of whatever need for wisdom you have. You can tell me any conflict. If it's in your marriage, it's in your relationship, it's in your family. And there'll be something there where your eyes are not ultimately on God and on his word and how he has called us to follow him in all these things. So we need to see, even as James does here, he points us directly to God and to his character. And what does he say of God? He says he gives generously. Now the Greek word here, it means more than just generously. It means that, and that's obviously a good translation because almost, well, a number of translations translate it this way. But it means more than that. It means sincerely. It means truly. It means openly. It means undividedly. It means liberally. Which is interesting because we come back to the main theme and the main point that James is trying to emphasize And his main point is genuine faith in God. And he's saying, well, look who is genuine. It's God. And he gives with complete integrity. He gives with complete righteousness and perfection. He is completely right and genuine in all that he does. And so God's heart is to do you good. And he wants to. He wants to do you good. You know, again, we see how James is calling to mind, if you remember from the first sermon, how he is taking a number of teachings of Jesus and bringing them to the fore. Well, he is doing that again here in multiple levels. In some ways, I could even mention some. But he does. And so you'll remember what Jill read a moment ago from Matthew 7. What did Jesus say there? Jesus said, ask the Father. Right? It's there on your screen. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And what kind of father is he? He's a good father. He's not going to give you snakes. You know, scorpions. Here, take that. Oh yeah, you want that? Take this instead. He's not doing that because he's a good Father, he gives good to those who ask him. Now at this point, big qualification here, this does not mean he will give you health and wealth and all the lies that the false prosperity gospel sets before your eyes. This is not talking about that. We need to remember the whole of God's word. We need to remember the context of that passage. We need to remember who Jesus is as he is setting himself forth in the gospel, Matthew. We need to remember that he goes to where? The cross and dies in the cross. And what does he say? You need to take up the cross, which means suffering and following Jesus Christ. And we remember all the character of God that we see throughout the Word of God, and we do not come to the conclusion, prosperity, gospel. So do not go that direction with this passage. It's not going that direction whatsoever. And neither is Matthew 7. I'll preach on that some other time. (laughs) So God, He gives you wisdom so that 
you might live a God-centered life in all of life. Whether you are rich or you are poor, whether you are healthy or you are sick, you might live for him and for his glory. So asking for wisdom is unto glorifying him in whatever and everything that he calls you to do. That's where this is headed. That's what you need. And I want to glorify God in my life as imperfectly as I do. I need wisdom that I would live for him in that way. And so when you do that, though, when you pray and you ask God for wisdom, as we see this here, he doesn't, he doesn't look at you and just go like, what? What are you talking about, Willis? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. You know, like, what are you coming to me for, you know? You again, right? You think you're so smart, don't you? But look at you now. You're coming back and crawling to me, Mr. Wisdom. Yeah, I thought so. That's not the way that God, God answers us when we come to him for wisdom. What does it say? He gives without reproach. And that's what this means. God's not going to do that and say, what? Why are you coming to me again? Really? <laughs> you should have this down by now. He gives generously and without reproach. And so let me exhort you with his exhortation, God's exhortation here from these verses to apply these words. Admit your desperate need for him, for God, and pray, and pray. Friends, you need God. It's not a question of if you do. You do. So admit it. You know, whether you're younger here or you're an older believer here, admit it. You may have been in the church. You may have been a deacon for 30, 40 years. You may be a pastor for 30, 40 years. You may be a, a, a believer for 30, 40, 60 years. But you need to admit that you need wisdom this morning. Amen. And you don't have it all. You need God to teach and instruct and lead. And so ask God. And I don't mean that, like I've said before, in a theoretical way. Do it. Like right now, even in your pew. You know that area of need that perhaps God has been showing you this whole sermon. You're like, that's it. That's what I need wisdom in. Well, ask God for wisdom in that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be long. Just there in your pew, just take a moment and say, Lord, please give me grace. Done. Right? That's it. Or, Lord, grant me wisdom in my marriage. I need wisdom. Grant me wisdom in parenting my children. Grant me wisdom for work because I don't know how to navigate all these various things. Grant me wisdom for witness. Or it may be that you're here and you're anxious or discouraged or depressed or worried 
or fearful or angry, and you just say, Lord, grant me wisdom for my sinful heart. And so do that this morning, even right now. You know, one commentator, he said it well. Since we see that the Lord does not so require from us what is above our strength, but that he is ready to help us, provided we ask, let us therefore learn whenever he commands anything to ask of him the power to perform it. So friends, go ahead. Ask the Lord and see what he will do. See what he will do. Now along with wholeheartedly acknowledging your need for God, second, wholeheartedly live a life of faith. Wholeheartedly live a life of faith. And this is where James, he goes in verses 6 through 8. So this is a clarification, or it's a qualification that is being given here. So verse 6a, but let him ask in faith. So this is calling you to consider the manner of your asking. The manner of your asking. So as you will find... So James, throughout this letter, even as I've already kind of said, he cares very much with how you are living. And we'll see this especially in chapter 2, the infamous chapter 2, faith and works. Well, there's a reason he's doing that, and we'll get to it then. But he cares very much that if you profess that you know Jesus Christ, you will then bear the fruit of those who know Jesus Christ. That's a glimpse into James chapter 2 in a little while. So for now we need to see that our faith in Christ is not to be seen as some personal, intimate, unaccountable, self-made sort of monstrosity. And it, when you hear that from believers, or even maybe you've said that, that this is my faith, you know, and, and those kind of thing, sayings, remember where we began this morning. What does the world do? It makes you what-centered? You-centered. When you are supposed to be God-centered. So I don't need the church. I have my faith on my own, and I am just fine. No, you're not. You know what John says in 1 John 2? Those who went out from us were never really of us, meaning they don't know Christ. So please hear that is a monstrosity of thinking, and do not, please do not go that direction. We have made, we may have made a profession of faith, but real faith, is lively, and it's a faith that transforms everything. That's why James is saying all he's saying. He's saying it's going to impact all your life, and why will it do that? Because of God. Because God has caused you to be born again, and Christ, by his Spirit, is in you, and you will never be the same again. 
Because by the grace of God, now God is our life if you know Christ this morning. Christ is our life if you know him this morning. And so the believer's faith, it's not a casual sort of faith. It is a faith that is fixed on Jesus. Though I'm imperfect, though I sin, though I walk through all these trials and things and I have to figure it all out and I mess up, my eyes are on you, Lord. So what does that mean? Well, we'll see more of that here in a moment. But we need to see something else here first. So we are presented here with a contrast between that, asking in faith, all of life, and I'll talk more about that in a moment, asking in faith and the one who doubts. So as we read this, we need to understand that the issue is about more than momentary doubting. It's about more than momentary doubting. So otherwise, as we're reading this, you might be thinking as you're reading it and thinking, okay, well, that means I'm in big trouble. <laughs> you know, I mean, at times, I doubt. You know, so I'm, I'm in trouble in reading this. Well, this is saying more than that. This isn't talking about momentary kind of faith-wrought Doubt, but it's talking about faithless doubt. Or another word for that would be unbelief. Now, you may never have heard of that, those words paired together, faith wrought doubt, but it's biblical. We see this all over the place in Scripture. You know, we see it. From various saints in Scripture, I mean, just consider Job or Habakkuk, right? I mean, you talk about walking through life. I mean, he, Job gets pretty, pretty hot in those chapters as you're reading. It's like, God, I'm calling you to count. Like, come to, court, come to the courtroom and tell me why. You know, all this is going on now. He has to repent later. <laughs> so just remember that too. And then there's Habakkuk, right? He's complaining to God. I mean, how, how can Israel be judged this way? And he has his questions, and they have their questions, and they ask, and they pray, and they wonder, and they even question and complain. But as you read those books, what you see as they ask, as they pray, as they do those things, they are fiercely clinging to God in faith. God is their God. He is their Redeemer. They're not looking to someone else. Well, that's not the case for the person here. The person who doubts here is in real trouble. And we see that with their wavy faith. You see, the, the doubter here, he's not standing on solid ground, is he? Where is he standing? Who knows? <laughs> you know, right? I mean, he's like a wave, like it says there, a wave of the sea, driven and tossed all over the place. No firm footing whatsoever, it seems. And so they're always wavering between, you know, I think I believe. I think I believe. I think I don't. <laughs> you know, I think I don't. And so what's their problem? What's the problem with the doubter here? The issue is the doubter is torn between God 
and the world. This is behind there being, as James, he says here, a double-minded man. So they have, they have two minds, or literally, they are double-souled. <laughs> and so we hear that, actually, and you probably hear that in the Greek word that's used here. Dipsukos, or like psychology, psyche, psyche, you hear that there? Dipsukos. And so we see that word in psych, or psyche in psychology, which, if you know the origins of psychology, it literally it means the study of the soul. Well, it's not that now. <laughs> so don't think you're going, when you go to psychology today, don't think you're getting that. It's a far cry from that today. But here we see that. We see that this person is double-souled. And so the doubter here is a living contradiction. And he finds God does not answer him. Why? Well, yeah, he's a doubter. But he does not really believe God can do anything or will do anything. He has his feet in two places at the same time, right? Over here, the world or himself, and God over here. And he hasn't really chosen which one's the best. Like, which one do I lean on? And so he says to himself, well, if, if God fails, I can go this way, you know, at least. I have, I have somewhere I can go as some solace, because I'll at least have me. So he's trying to balance God and the world, and he can't decide between the two, kind of like, you know, those amateur uh, plate balancers. Maybe not, maybe, yes, amateur in this case. But you know how they're trying to balance the plates on these sticks and so on, trying to hold it up in the air without dropping any. Well, the doubter here is in bad shape, right? He is on the sea trying to, to balance these plates. I mean, it's not going to happen. And we see that exactly here. It says that he is unstable. And he is, un, uh, and he is on unstable ground. And so the doubter here is not just doubting in some small way. He is living a life of unbelief. A life of unbelief. And this is why it says, you're wondering where it is. Verse 8 he is unstable in what? All his ways. So he's like Israel in Scripture. You know, if you, you're reading the Word and you're like, whoa, <laughs> what's up with Israel? Well, one moment, you know, right? They're, they're believing, going into the land of promise with gusto. And the next moment, absolutely not. <laughs> unbelieving, and not just that, they're going huffing and puffing. How dare you, God? Now that's unbelief. Difference between faith wrought doubt and faithless doubt. And so they're up and they're down, and we see the same thing of the doubter here also. He's characterized by unbelief. So like Israel is hewing for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
The man is doing that here, and he won't just go and take up God and God alone as his fountain of living water. So like I said, doubter is in real trouble here. Half-hearted, wandering, and he may not even be a believer. So he's in real trouble. So what's the difference? The difference between the doubter and the believer is this. The believer lives standing upon the rock of Christ. He's not driven and tossed by the sea because he's standing upon him who doesn't move. Upon him who is immovable, upon him who is sure, upon him who is stable, him who is not driven and tossed by the wind. And who but Christ and him alone can be such a rock for your life? And the answer is no one. There is no other rock. You can search everywhere in this world. You can go into every single religion and you will not find another rock outside of Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And so for believers, our life is to be, as James is calling for, a life of faith. You don't clock out. Do you know what I mean? There's no church side of you, which has sadly been too common among the churches. They have their church side, and then they have their home side. Then they have their work side. That's not what we are to be. It's Christ and the believer standing upon the solid rock of Christ in all that. So we don't come with painted masks on here on Sunday mornings. We recognize, you already said this if you put your faith in Christ, that you are a sinner. And we need Him. And so what is to be our response to all of this? First, for the doubter, God is calling you to repent. God is calling you to repent. Years ago, there was a man who saw the deep error of his unbelief, and he was pierced to the heart. So upon seeing this, before he gave his final breath shortly after this. He said, there's nothing I feel more than the criminality of not trusting Christ without doubt. Without doubt. Oh, to think what Christ is, what he did, and whom he did it for. And then, not to believe him, not to trust him, There is no wickedness like the wickedness of unbelief.
that's right. Now, you may want me to provide a qualification to all of that, but I'm not going to. (laughs) I think at times we want people to help us evade our discomfort and sin when rather we ought to consider whether perhaps God, by His Spirit, is calling us to repent before Him and before His true Word. And maybe that's strange. Maybe you're like, I don't like that feeling. I'm going to go punch the preacher in the face after this. You know, Some people do that, not with fists, but with the words. They don't know what that is. They don't know what that feeling is. Well, could it be that the Spirit of God is piercing your heart this morning? He is convicting you of your sin. And he's calling you to repent. And what will come if you repent? Well, verse 5. Right? Sure footing. Wisdom. And if you don't know Christ, salvation. And it will be given him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So maybe you need to do that this morning. You need to cry out to God. You don't know what that feeling is, that piercing. That piercing perhaps is the call for you to run to Christ your Savior. The one who loved you so much that he came and died and was buried and rose again that you may be forgiven that you may have life that every single sin every single one would be forgiven past present and future forever he came to take on all of that to be the one who took on the wrath of God in your place that through faith in him you'll be saved and perhaps this morning you need to do that So what of the believer's response here? Well, the believer, God is calling you to unwaveringly embrace the life of faith. To see that this is what the Christian life looks like. I know 1 Corinthians exists. (laughs) So that's part of it too. But you do know If you're wondering what in the world I'm talking about, 1 Corinthians, they were a mess of believers. (laughs) Committing adultery with the father's wife, the son is. But Paul, he doesn't go, that's fine. He says, you need to repent. And church, you need to call him to account. So it may be that we're a mess and you may still be a believer, but you're life is to look like this wholehearted a life of faith though enemies arise though villains come and they say all kinds of evil against you though devils roar though holes abound and you may fall in them again and again you keep following your savior everywhere by faith because he is the only sure rock that you are standing on so walk by faith in christ your rock this morning 
and let not your feet be moved and cry out to God for wisdom. Pray, ask God, and keep asking because we have a good, great, gracious, and generous God. So as we have heard the word of the Lord this morning, may we take up this passage and wholeheartedly pray and live unabashedly standing upon the shore rock of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come and we just bow our knees, our hearts before you. And we pray and just ask that you would help us as we consider each of these points, as we consider your word in these verses, as we look at our life and we see all variety of things that we need wisdom for. May we now admit our desperate need for you, God. Maybe we need to admit that we have not believed. And we need to pray, help me in my unbelief. Maybe we need to pray and, and, and repent as we see here the call to repent of these things and believe in the one sure rock of Jesus Christ. The house that's not built on the sand. And so help us, Lord, whether that means you're calling us if we have not believed and we've said, well, I'm not going to follow you. I don't believe your word. I don't believe I should obey the call to be baptized. Uh, I don't think I should be part of the body. I'm fine just kind of be on the outskirts of the body. You're calling us to more than that. You're calling us to a life lived for Christ, a life that is enthralled with Christ and serving Christ in the body and out of the body in every area of life. And so help us in that, Father. That may mean taking seriously church membership or simply coming, whether in the pew there or down at these steps and praying. So Lord, help us respond this morning. As we pray this next song, our great God, oh great God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.